Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, do you want to come on the radio? You can come on and do the, our hugely popular quiz. Can you get to number 10? 10 questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better the job you get. Taking your place alongside our listeners and guests. If you make it all the way to number 10, you become our show's Prime Minister. And uh, throughout February, if you come on and do the quiz, uh, you not only get a certificate, you'll also get tickets to my stand-up show. So email me, studio at times.radio, with your name and your number if you want to come on, and we'll get you to do the quiz, and you can get tickets to my show. Lovely stuff. Uh, right, coming up on today's episode, we speak to not one Sue Gray, not two Sue Grays, not three Sue Grays, but no, no, we speak to three Sue Grays. Uh, Sue Grays report coming out uh, later on, of course. Uh, so what we thought we'd do is we'd have a focus group of Sue Grays. We've also got Henry Zeffman uh, from The Times, Chris Curtis from The Pulse's Opinion, giving us... Uh, their assessment of where we are politically. Is Boris Johnson already safe, regardless of what Sue Gray says? Uh, that's coming up. First, though, columnist panel. Normally on a Monday, it's Libby Rachie. No Libby Purvis. Rachel Sylvester's taken a slot in the Times. So Rachel Sylvester's playing the role of Libby Purvis, which means that Susie Boniface is playing the role of Rachel Sylvester. It'll all make sense. Let's talk about uh, levelling up, Rachel. You've written uh, today about... Um, uh, the attainment gap, um, in particular, you obviously you've been chairing the uh, the Times Education Commission. I know you did an interim report on this last week. Um, uh, and when it comes to levelling up, rather than it all just being about geography, as everyone seems to talk about, it's just sort of about red wall seats and so on. Um, you're making the point that actually it um, uh, it, it's, it can be more than that. And actually, you know, levelling up educationally right across the country is really important. Yeah. And actually, wherever you live, um, if you don't have the kind of good education and good life chances and it sort of doesn't matter how many mares or how many bus routes or how many trains you've got if you don't know you know haven't got that sort of aspiration and ambition to to use those um the infrastructure and i i there's sort of two figures that have really shocked me as chair of the education commission the first is that a third of 16 year olds effectively fail their GCSEs they don't get a grade four or above in English and maths and but then even more shockingly actually the 40 percent of the sort of attainment gap between rich and poor exists before children even get to school so I was arguing in the column that actually you need to start right at the beginning um, with proper high quality uh, nurseries as they have in um, Estonia and Finland and other countries that kind of to see uh, early as provision as education rather than just childcare. And there are a whole load of policies that the government's put in place that effectively benefit working parents um, and wealthier parents. But actually some of these most vulnerable children aren't getting the support they need, which which would do much more to level the play, playing field or level up, as the government likes to say, than all these mares and bus routes and stuff. Uh, what do you think about this, um, this Susie? I mean, levelling up, it's sort of levelling up is in the eye of the beholder. Anything can become levelling up or isn't. Well, that seems to be the way the government has handled it. But what's bizarre to me is that they got an 80-seat majority by promising to do this. They have a group of very uh, noisy backbench MPs who are from the Red Wall constituencies, and they've had 
uh, three years so far, two and two and a bit, to um, to try and come up with something that would, you know, get them in a good position to be re-elected in those places in 2024. And what they're actually doing is levelling up on the cheap. Um, they're using, as, as Rachel rightly points out, they're, they're not levelling up the thing that would matter the most, which is in education and in public service provision. Um, they are recycling and giving partial refunds, as Labour has said, from and the money they've already taken away. They've said they'll have 75 short start centres to replace, or hubs, to replace the thousand short start centres that actually got closed. And what we've got with Michael Gove at the moment, he's brought out this white paper um, about what they would like to do. But that is a white paper. That's six months to a year before the consultation ends. Then legislation, which would have less than a year to get through Parliament. So it probably wouldn't get through Parliament for the next election. And then, of course, there's no spades in the ground. And even if all you're doing is prettifying a town centre, you've still got to be able to do it before people go to the ballot box. And they've just delayed and delayed and delayed doing it on the cheap. They don't seem to think that it's worth spending any money on, even though this is the thing that got them into power. It's the most self-defeating, maddening attitude to one of their own policies that I can imagine. I mean, I could understand if it was a Labour policy they'd somehow inherited, but this isn't. This is their big idea. It's their big sell. And they've just well, it's gone up the wall, hasn't it, to coin a phrase? <laughs> and I suppose that's the interesting thing, isn't it, Rachel, is that is the, it, it, this stuff takes a long time. And I remember probably almost exactly two years ago writing a piece when I was doing the web box email and wrote a piece talking to people in Number 10 who were worried that Boris Johnson became Prime Minister in July 2019. They had all the Brexit kerfuffling and propagation and all of that. And then he was going to have a relaunch in January, and then that didn't really happen. And then we sort of slipped into February... And then into March, and then by the time COVID hit, um, they were like, oh, we might, have, we might have missed the window to sort of set mm. out the stall and hit the ground running. And at that point, they were worried that, you know, they were going to miss the window and it'd be September before that year before they could return to domestic policy. Obviously, it's been a lot longer than that. But in terms of being able to point at things, you know, I can see Boris Johnson right now, he's on the TV, he's got his hard hat on and a high-vis jacket. That's what he likes to do. He likes <laughs> to be able to, to sort of point at things. And there's a real risk here that they're not going to have very much to point at. Well, exactly. And a high-vis high jacket doesn't actually make any difference at all to what people's lives. Um, and I think there's a danger that they see it as, there's a kind of window dressing element to this. We'll make some town centres look prettier. But actually... People are if people haven't got enough money to pay their fuel bills, you know, to get the get the food they need, um, and also to 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 do some things that are a bit of fun, you know, maybe buy some clothes or even go on holiday as well. If people feel that their lives haven't got better, or in fact have got worse, um, they're not going to feel as if levelling up means anything. Um, and there's a really interesting piece by um, Ben Hoochin, the mayor for mm. um, the Teesside Tees. Uh, Valley Mayor in um, Red Box today saying, you know, all these Red Wall MPs have got to stop moaning and, you know, Boris Johnson's, the Tories will lose the election without Boris Johnson. But I think it's slightly wishful thinking because if the if the policy hasn't had any effect before the next election and people have this sense that it's one rule for the people in Downing Street, another rule for the rest of us, I think that's politically disastrous for the Conservative Party particularly for the Tories, because their kind of Achilles heel, if you like, is that they're the party of the elite, the party of the rich. They managed to, I spoke to one MP last week who said, you know, the reason we won the election was because Boris Johnson persuaded everyone we were the party of the workers. 
But all these parties in Downing Street and everything just gives the impression it's back to that sort of party of the rich, party of the elite, um, party of the entitled. Uh, so without some actually really substantial change to people's lives, it's very hard to see how you get past that. Yeah, no, it's, it, well, we'll see how that um, pans out. That Ben Houchin piece I thought was really interesting because he rode right in behind Boris Johnson, but then basically set quite a high bar that he needs to clear, that he's the man who wins the votes. Uh, and, you know, it would be outrageous to sort of uh, unseat him right now. Um, I suppose the risk in that, Susie, and we'll talk about this a bit later on, is that if he doesn't win the votes in the election in May, that could re that could be another risky moment for him. There's this belief that because Boris Johnson has had a lot of charm uh, and what, what some people call charisma, but definitely charm throughout his career, and that has helped him communicate effectively, it's helped him get elected uh, quite a lot, win a lot of votes, that, that, that's, that is his success. And actually, that's the seeds of his destruction as well, because when you can charm someone from any walk of life, or any kind of vote, a Tory or Brexit or Labour or anybody else, North or South, if you're able to charm people that effectively, then that means they're taking you closer to them in a way. They're, they're, they, they identify with you. They, they think of you as a friend or at least a charming mate in the pub. Um, but then the problem is that when that friend betrays them by throwing huge parties or breaking the law, or doing things that you weren't doing because it was really important and actually it involved the death of a loved one and you're really hurt and upset by it, that's a betrayal by a friend, by someone who has charmed you, who you feel taken in by. It's not a theoretical betrayal by a prime minister who you voted for for some sort of you know theoretical reason about the economy. This is someone you actually took in somehow into your home in some way. I think that I think, that's so right. the the, I think Tony Tony Blair suffers from that as well. That the, the, yeah. the the huge, you know, way you know, wave of enthusiasm for him in ninety seven meant that the betrayal in inverted commas was all the greater. Whereas, mm. you know, nobody loved David Cameron. Uh, in the same way, he didn't have no, that. And, you know. and, and Nick Clegg as well is another example of that, where mm. the, the sort of Clegg mania then That's people just yeah, felt. Yeah. So the more you, more people. Uh, I think um, Susie's so right. There's a sort of the emotional attachment people, emotional investment people make in their leaders is is directly correlated to the sort of sense of disillusionment they feel. That's really interesting. Yes, Boris Johnson needs to avoid the fate of Tony Blair, in particular Nick Clegg. Um, just finally, um, I wanted to uh, ask you what you make of the Spotify business. Um, so there's this podcast by Joe Rogan, who's interviewed vaccine sceptics. Anti-vaxxers are probably about right. Um, and uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell and a singing duo called Harry and Meghan have uh, <laughs> criticised uh, Spotify for doing this. I think this is really interesting, um, uh, Susie, just with the way it sort of points to a, uh, you know, there's been this argument for ages that Spotify hold all the power and the artists can't do anything at all. Um, and now actually a couple of you know big name artists, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, decide to pull their um, music. It doesn't yet seem to have led to a massive swathe of uh, other artists following suit. But once again, it goes back to this question of tech companies responsible for what they publish in the same way as if the Times published a, a piece by uh, an anti-vaxxer, then they would, you know, you know, people would be very cross with the time. But people don't seem to have the same concern about Spotify or Facebook, wherever it might be. No, they all the tech companies have tried very hard to avoid being publishers, which would give them legal uh, responsibilities and possible punishments if they published the wrong sort of thing or something that, for example, you know, is contempt of court in this country, but would not be contempt of court in the US. 
Um, and they, they want to be more like the lamppost upon which someone just happens to stick something defamatory as opposed to the person who publishes the thing that's defamatory and takes a decision to do it, which is why they don't moderate as well. But the fundamental problem that they've ignored and which I think Neil Young is in his and uh, Carol King in their very uh, corporate, non-hippie way have focused on is that it's this is a they're private businesses and they don't have permanent freedom of speech. Yeah on a private business because they can just say, well, do you know what? You're affecting our business. You go. Um, or I can withdraw my, my trade from you in some way. So Spotify does still have a lot of power. It hasn't quite cut through to everybody yet. But, you know, there is a difference between being just reasonably normal, everyday offensive and actually being amoral and giving people false information about a disease that's killed millions would appear to be something which really a, a reputable company that's you know, wants to make a profit and wants to trade in shares and things like that should not be doing because it's going to affect them uh, in the in the long run in a very bad way. So I think they're quite right to to call Spotify out on it. And I think it's the fact it's a private business that will ultimately make all the tech companies have to behave a bit better yeah. if we decide they have to, of course. Yeah, that's that's a big thing. How many people actually are affected mm. by it and how many people just quite like, you know, being able to listen to whatever they want to. Your, your thoughts finally, Rachel? Well, I think they are publishers. It's clear these companies, you know, in the, this kind of grey area they're trying to take advantage of, it's becoming increasingly black and white. You know, they are publishers, just like newspapers are. But I thought it sounds as if there's a bit of a compromise that's quite a, a good way of dealing with it, which is that there's a, um, a bit like um, labelling statues that there's a label put on things so you know you get around the free speech versus sensitive argument by having things labeled much more clearly and people yeah. you know highlighted the flaws rather than saying we're going to ban everyone you know people uh, although i think there is a you know you're getting quite close to that when you're having people if it you know inciting whether it's inciting hatred or anti-vax propaganda that's getting quite close to something that's you know becoming illegal as well as immoral Susie Boniface from The Mirror there and Rachel Sylvester of course you can read Rachel in The Times every week just get yourself a subscription go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash times red box up next we speak to three Sue Grays It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sue Gray. Sue Gray report. Sue Gray. 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 And all I ask is that Sue Gray be allowed to complete her inquiry. Has anyone ever said so little and yet been so famous? Well, we await the Sue Gray report, which is expected today. So what we thought we'd do is speak to Sue Gray and Sue Gray and Sue Gray. Yes, we've got a special panel of Sue Grays. Uh, So let's go first of all to Surrey Sue Gray. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Uh, We've also got Somerset Sue Gray. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, Matt. And we've got Hampshire Sue Gray. Good morning, Sue. Hampshire Sue Gray, you there? One of the others could just say hello anyway. (laughs) We'll come back to you in just a moment because we just want to fill in the picture of where we are exactly with the uh, Sue Gray news. Henry Zeffman, the Times' chief political correspondent, is with us. Uh, Henry, what do we know about the imminent release, possibly, of the Sue Gray report? Yeah, it's a a big day to be called Sue Gray. Uh, we think that finally that report we've been hearing so much about, which has made the name Sue Gray so famous across the country, uh, is going to be presented to Boris Johnson very shortly. And once he's had a little bit of time, probably just a matter of a few hours, to digest the contents, uh, he's going to publish it and go to the House of Commons and take questions on it and defend the conduct of uh, himself and members of his Downing Street team throughout the pandemic. What exactly do we expect to be in it, Henry? Because there's been lots of speculation and delays and interactions between uh, the that inquiry and the police. I mean, there was a time when this felt like a huge moment. This feels like a slightly less huge moment. Yes, uh, it's a great uh, case study for how sort of momentum and narrative can work for good and ill in politics. So uh, there is going to be minimal reference to uh, around eight key parties, because those are the ones that were passed to the Metropolitan Police, and those were the ones uh, that were subject to the slightly baffling request from the Metropolitan Police uh, last Friday. I don't know if there are people up and down the country also called Cressida Dick, but I'd love them to explain for their names and its actions. Uh, I suspect it's a rarer name. Anyway, um, and uh, so the, by definition, the parties of greatest concern are not going to be discussed at the greatest length. Uh, we're not expecting it to sort of name names. Uh, it's more going to be about our culture and, um, uh, you know, the sort of uh, tone uh, that was on that was going on Downing Street at that time. I think that will be very disappointing to lots of people. But crucially, um, the mood in the Conservative Parliamentary Party is just less mutinous than it was ten days ago. And even if a limited report had dropped then. I think we might have seen a more explosive reaction than we're likely to see today. But look, we don't know. We don't know what the report might say. It might go much further than we'd expected. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the moment uh, for Sue Gray to um, put us out of our misery is coming quite soon. Henry Zephyr, thank you for that. Um, I th- Henry might stay on the line uh, while we speak to our own Sue Grace, our three Sue Grace. So first of all, let's start with Surrey Sue Gray. Um, uh, tell us about yourself, Sue. What did you do? What was lockdown like for you? Um, lockdown for me personally was um, probably pretty normal to what it was um, every day because I'm a key worker. I work for a bank and I work for a 
Christian charity uh, with my church called Christians Against Poverty. So we were continuing to work. I had children at home. That made the difference. And I've got two autistic boys, which made it very difficult. And what have you made of what appears to have been going on in, in Downing Street? Um, I've been saddened, really, um, uh, about the things that took place. I think people should be, should be held accountable. But the thing that saddens me most is that this is taking away from us actually from the government actually dealing with the things which are most important like the um increase in fuel the increase in um the cost of living and um, which so affects the most vulnerable people in society um and just give me a, a sense of your your politics um how did you is it right you you've you voted remain voted conservative but you now probably call yourself a floating voter i i've i look at each time i look at at what's um, happening at the time and I look at the individual MPs I don't just think right I'm going to vote Tory I'm going to vote Labour I look at individual MPs our local MP is um, is very good um, so that's why I voted for him and it will depend on the actual election of what I vote for at the time um, I don't just vote on on personalities um, I just work at look at their policies and see what they're doing and Obviously, my key, most important thing is what's happening to for the most vulnerable and for people with mental health issues. Thanks for that. That's sorry, Sue Gray. Somerset Sue Gray, who actually, Hi. you live very, very close, it turns out, to where I grew up, don't you? I do, yes. Just, well, probably a couple of villages away, I would imagine, Matt. Mate, down on the Somerset levels. That's right, yeah. Um, right uh, what's it, what, tell me your story. Um, how do you normally vote? What was lockdown like for you? Um, lockdown for me was... Great at the start because it was my husband and I just spending a lot of time together going out for walks and things because I'm in the vulnerable category. So we stayed our distance from everybody. Um, coming out of lockdown is very scary. So from that point of view, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, really? Um, I vote, normally I vote Labour. I've had 30 years in childcare. I'm an early years childcare teacher, I was. Um, and I just feel that Labour have always supported our families and children. So for me, I, they would never get my vote, even though I live in a Tory stronghold. I was going to say, you might, I think you might be the only person in that oh, seat. Yeah, I probably am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, knowing the area. And what have, you, what have you made, given what you went through and the, your concern about, you know, both abiding by the rules, but also the impact on your safety, what have you made of uh, the revelations coming out about uh, parties in Number 10? I just think it's complete hypocrisy, but I uh, really don't expect anything more, I don't think. I'm, you know, I've, I'm not a Tory follower, so they would never get my backing anyway. Um, I just think they're a load of toffs. <laughs> well, that's, um, that, that's, your, that's Somerset Sue Gray's uh, view. <laughs> Let's go to... That's fine. No, it's good. That's why we wanted to get a panel on. Uh, we can now go to Hampshire Sue Gray, who... who this is it is genuinely, um, by total coincidence, Hampshire Sue Gray lives in this town that I live in now. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you, you're in Fleet, aren't you, Sue? I am. Yes. yes this is, oh, this is very weird. I'm surrounded by Sue Grace. <laughs> um, Sue, give us... Uh, you, you voted Brexit, voted Tory for the first time in 2019. Is that right? I did, yes, yes. It, it, it took a lot to vote Conservative. I've never, ever voted Conservative, but I did in 2019 for the first time. And yeah. what, what made you do that last time? 
Um, I was a Brexit um, supporter, so I felt the Conservatives were the party to take us forward uh, with Brexit. Um, yeah, that was really my main reason for voting Conservative. I'm also was not a huge fan of, um, of Jeremy Corbyn, so there's no way I could ever vote Labour while Jeremy Corbyn was in charge. So I felt Conservative. Also, we live in a very, as you know, a very blue area. Um, so I, I, and I like, again, I like RMP. So that's why I voted Conservative the last time. Given what you know has gone on since, both the, what happened during lockdown for you personally and what's been going on in number 10, have, has that changed your, your mind about Boris Johnson? Um, yes. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I thought Boris was probably um, like this all along, um, would say one thing and do completely the opposite. However, um, it was the Brexit issue that, that pushed us to vote for him. Um, would I vote for him again? I'd have to see, again, like the previous Sue, um, I would probably have to see what the policies of, of Labour and the Lib Dems came out with. Again, I don't, or I'm not a, a set in stone. I will um, choose who I think has got the, the, the best policies and, and go with that, really. It's not so much about the party, it's about the policies. Now, we've got across our, our Sue Gray panel a, a pretty good spread of politics, you know, Brexit and Remain, Labour and Conservative and so on. Um, it feels like what's great about hearing from real life people, real life Sue Grays, is that everything's a bit more nuanced. You're not, you know, out on, you know, about to take the streets demanding the Prime Minister resign. Um, I just wonder how closely you've been following uh, the, the revelations. I mean, have any of you had any issues about the fact that you share a name with the most famous anonymous official in the country? I think it's been hilarious. Now, yeah, hang on. Most... You're going to have to introduce yourself. So where, which, oh, which Sue Gray is that? Which, which, which county? I'm, I'm, I'm Hampshire. Hampshire, Hampshire Sue Gray. Go on, Hampshire, Hampshire. Sue Gray. Um, it, it's been hilarious the last three, four weeks. Um, I've had non-stop um, messages um, with the, the funny cartoons, that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I told somebody today who didn't know my surname. She's only known me as Sue. And I said, you know what, my sir, and she laughed. We were out with our dogs and she laughed all the way around the rest of the walk, not realising I was Sue Gray. <laughs> um, my brother is very happily telling everybody that Sue Gray is his sister. Um, <laughs> so it's, and my friends all love the fact that they're friends with Sue Gray. So it's been quite, for, for me, it's been quite lighthearted. Um, I mean, so many people have asked me when my report's being done. I went away recently um, and I was criticised for going away. <laughs> um, I need to get on with the report. So it, it's been, yeah, I've taken it in, in a quite a funny, light-hearted way. If, um, Zoe Sue Gray and Somerset Sue Gray, have you had similar experiences? Somerset yeah, Sue I... Gray, exactly the same, really. <laughs> oh, you have? <laughs> I got... Every time I put a comment on Facebook, I'm told to get back to my report rather than <laughs> coming out. So, um, yeah, very much the same. Sorry, Sue Gray, are you the same? Yes, um, I've... My, my colleagues have said, stop concentrating on all these shenanigans and just get on and do some work and get on with that report and get it out. So um, that's, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Lots. My, my husband even said, I need to report on what pants I should wear this morning. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> Well, hopefully, hopefully those jokes will come to an end uh, from today when finally we get this report. Just finally, <laughs> I just want to come around to all of you, just on a very straightforward question. Um, do you think everything that you know about the parties, the, the party in the garden, the suitcase of wine, the wine fridge, the disco, all of that, the party the night before the Duke of Edinburgh's um, 
funeral, the cheese and wine in the garden, the, um, you know, Allegra Stratton laughing. It was, you know, all of that. Put all that together. Um, do you think that Boris Johnson should resign, given everything that we know? Sorry, Sue Gray, first of all. Uh, I think it's, it's it's obviously this is just my opinion. This yeah, is of not course. Anybody else, but um, it's I I just I do think it's sad. And whoever, who, whether he goes or whether he stays, I just wish we'd just get on with the other policies which are most important. Um, it doesn't doesn't bother me some in one ways whether he goes or whether he doesn't. I just want them to be accountable for it, and I want them to get back to some real work. Is it? Would you, when you say be accountable for, what do you what do you mean by that? Because I suppose if if it was a cabinet minister who'd done this, they could be sacked as a cabinet minister and then maybe come back later. It's just so difficult because it's the prime minister. So how how do you think you could punish Boris Johnson without him having to resign? Obvious clue. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Somerset Sue Gray, should Boris Johnson resign? He should have resigned a long time ago, but then what about all the other people that are attending the parties with him? I find that, you know, everywhere that I've gone that I thought, oh, this is a bit iffy, um, didn't those people think the same? And my punishment would be put, put him into an early years childcare set him in charge of the toddler room for a year. I mean, he's got, he has got experience of dealing with large numbers of children at once. So, uh... He is a toddler. <laughs> That's about where his level is for me. And finally, Hampshire Sue Gray, should Boris Johnson resign? Um, I'm waiting for my report to come out um, before <laughs> I would make a, a, a decision on, on that, to be honest. So, no, I'm staying on the fence at the moment until I see the report. I mean, we couldn't have planned it better. We've got a no, a yes, and a let's wait and see. Uh, we've covered the full gamut. Um, uh, Sue Gray's. Well, somebody somebody was asking, is it Sue Gray's or Sue's Gray? Uh, what is the plural of Sue Gray? Nobody knows. Uh, Sue Gray uh, from Surrey. Sue Gray from Somerset. Sue Gray for Hampshire. Thank you so much for joining us on Times Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no, there we are. It's our focus group of Sue Grace. Uh, you'll be pleased that I didn't do a ding every single time I mentioned uh, the name because that would have driven us all up the wall. Times Radio with Matt Chorley. Uh, good to have you with us on a Monday morning and some breaking news in the last few moments. The Cabinet Office has uh, released a statement saying we can confirm that Sue Gray has provided an update on her investigation to the Prime Minister. So Boris Johnson now has uh, some sort of report from Sue Gray. Uh, but how much of it, <laughs> given that she's been told by the police that to make only minimal reference to the eight uh, parties that she was investigating, uh, we await uh, the details of that. But uh, the Prime Minister has received an update from Sue Gray on her investigations into rule-breaking, allegations of rule-breaking in number 10. We understand that Boris Johnson is now going to read it for a little bit and we fully expect him in the House of Commons later on this afternoon uh, to answer questions on it. So we, we think that the government will uh, release the report in the next few hours. The House of Commons doesn't start sitting until 2.30. The earliest that Boris Johnson could appear is 3.30. But we'll keep across uh, all the details of that. But confirmation from the Cabinet Office that Boris Johnson uh, has received an update on Sue Gray's investigations into what went on in number 10. But... Is this all academic? That's the big question. Has uh, the um, steam come out of this because you know, the Sue Gray report is not going to be as explosive as we thought? Oh, I missed it. This, <laughs> uh, it's not going to be as explosive as we thought because of the limitations of the Met police investigation. That's going to take months and months. And are the polls already turning? Are, as one of our Sue Grays was suggesting, uh, they just want to get on and focus on uh, the issues at hand, the cost of living, what's happening in Russia, uh, vaccinations, the economy, all of that. Is that all more important? Let's now speak to uh, Chris Curtis. 
Curtis, the head of polling, at uh, the head of political polling at the Pollster Opinion. Hi, Chris. Hi, Matt. How's it going? I'm very good. I'm very good. So, I mean, uh, it's one of these things where asking a pollster what's uh, of the public mood when we're right in the middle of a thing that might change the public <laughs> mood. But given that, you know, if we go back a couple of weeks ago, Labour had, you know, double-digit leads in the polls. That seems to have been, on some polls at least, about halved. Is Boris Johnson safe regardless, actually, of what comes out? Has, has, has public opinion turned? I mean, I suppose you have to, when, when having this conversation, you have to potentially like think back to the Boris Johnson and the Keir Starmer three months ago and say, hey, how would you feel if in three months' time uh, Labour was five points ahead in the polls? And the idea that Boris Johnson would be cheering that on, as I think the, um, the it's implied that he is at the moment, seems a bit daft to me. Um, like, yes, we have seen potentially a little bit of a small tick back up for the Conservatives in the polls. As this story's died down a little bit, we have seen a small decrease probably in the Labour vote share. Maybe Boris Johnson's approval ratings have gone from absolutely abysmal just to abysmal. But um, but I still think this is this is this is pretty severely damaged. <clears throat> excuse me. This is pretty severely damaged the Conservative Party and the Prime Minister. Um, can he come back? Of course, he can come back. Anything's possible, given how volatile our politics is right now. But uh, but we shouldn't underestimate the impact that this this new story has had. And when we do, when you dig around into the polling, there was a lot of um, uh, speculation that actually, if you looked at the the, the drop in conservative uh, the support for the conservatives, that, that a lot of those people have gone to don't know rather than necessarily switching to the Labour Party. The number of Tory to Labour switches um, was was relatively low. Was that right? was relatively low considering the um uh, considering how much the conservatives had dropped and that was because and we sort of saw this um with the sue grays that you were just speaking to right there were a lot of the two of them there who had voted conservative at the last election and both of them would now say that they, they were undecided they might vote labor at the next election i think if i was listening to them in a focus group i'd assume that both of them were probably more likely to go back to the conservatives but they're definitely up for grabs for the labor party the labor party just still has a lot of work to do to convince them whether that be convincing them that they're competent enough to run the economy that they have got a plan for cost of living which was one of the things that pretty much everybody uh, was mentioning uh, to be to, to prove that Keir Starmer is strong enough um, to take on the job of prime minister, trustworthy enough, two things uh, that lots of voters at the moment are still questioning despite their pretty negative views of the prime minister. So, you know, there's there's still a lot of voters who can go either way. They could go back to the Conservatives. Labour still has a lot of work to do um, to regain trust of those floating voters at the moment. And there's been lots of excitement about uh, Labour doing well on some of those those key issues, the economy in particular. Um, I mean, it's it, in a way, it's a sign of how much Labour have struggled in recent times uh, that they are now. Uh, you know, it's a cause of celebration. They're ahead on some of these these key measures. I, mean, I suppose in and of itself, that doesn't win an election, but you probably can't win an election if you're not seen as trusted on the on some of the big issues of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think the next few months are going to be pivotal in trying to, in, in, yeah, when we're still a long way to the next election and things can still change. But I think the next few months are going to be pivotal for the government and their hopes of re-election because... You know, these parties are obviously a big news story. They have damaged trust in the prime minister. But I still think there is a view that people could still move on from this. These stories could go away. But it means that they are going into a really big, bad situation, hard situation for the Conservatives to deal with in the cost of living crisis. They're going into that situation with a low level of trust, with people already questioning whether the Prime Minister is up to the top job. And it's going to be really hard for them to get through that. At the moment, 
we haven't heard very much from them about the kind of things they're going to do to help support people who are going to be struggling to pay their energy bills. Labour's got a plan. They probably haven't been talking about it very much, considering everything has been about the Sue Gray report. But we've also heard very little from the government and the Conservatives as well. So they need to be really pushing hard um, that they're still the best place to um handle the economy, handle people's living standards, because they're losing a reputation um, for being the best party to do that. And I think that could end up being really damaging for them. And obviously, over the weekend, we had uh, Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak confirming that the uh, increase in national insurance would go ahead, uh, despite actually lots of the Conservative MPs who, who were threatening to call for Boris Johnson to go, saying that the price of them going uh, would uh, would would be that they would get rid of the national insurance price. Where what what's, where's the public on this um, in terms of increasing taxes to pay for public services? Yeah, so it's an interesting one because you know I've, we've spoken about it before. Um, I've always been of the position that I think there's um, the national insurance rise for the Conservatives could end up being really useful. Um, you know, the public, when the Conservatives first came to government in 2010, the public were generally of a position where they thought, you know, we, obviously, we need to pay back the deficit. It's really important that we live within our means, everything like that. Um, generally, we should probably do that by cutting services, not by increasing taxes. Now, here we are 12 years later. They still believe the first bit. They still believe in the importance of fiscal discipline, but they think that uh, we should do it by raising taxes, not by cutting public services. The Conservatives need to signal to the public uh, that they've changed with them on that. And this national insurance rise potentially was a good way of doing that. But I think they've struggled to really make the case for it. Firstly, that it's being done in a fair way. Secondly, that the money is being spent efficiently, given the various ways this government can be accused of wasting money. And thirdly, the timing of it is obviously really difficult, given everything else that's happening with the cost of living. So this could have worked for the Conservatives, I think. But in the current situation, I think it could go could end up going down really badly. Uh, and just finally, Chris Curtis. Foreign news, things happening beyond our borders. How much does what's going on in Russia and Ukraine affect public opinion here in the UK? Um, in and of itself, very little. I mean, people, yeah, lots of people, I mean, myself included, <laughs> to be honest, don't necessarily have a really good read on what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and how we should respond to it. But I think it, it, what it does is it comes on a list of issues that are appreciated, that are important. So when the prime minister comes out and says, look, I know you're obsessed with my parties, but we need to be focusing on these more important issues. He can now say, for example, what's happening in Ukraine. And there is an appreciation from voters that that is an important important thing um, that should be being focused on. So I think it, it gives the government an extra sort of counter argument to the all of the accusations about parties in terms of here's another important thing that maybe we should be talking about instead. Chris Curtis uh, from the polling uh, company Opinion. Thanks so much for talking us through public opinion. Uh, that was Chris Curtis there. Before that, we heard from Sue Gray from Surrey, Sue Gray from Somerset and Sue Gray from Hampshire. And for the person who texted in and saying, I'm sure you could also find people called Sue Gray in Scunthorpe, Skegness, Sunderland or Scarborough. Uh, yes, thank you, uh, John in Sheffield. I did contact, uh, I'll be honest, dozens of Sue Grays on Twitter, on uh, Facebook yesterday, and uh, the three Sue Grays who got back in touch with the ones we got on the radio. So anyway, there we are, John. As ever, the um, the health warning from uh, focus groups, it's not supposed to be a representative. You could even say, John, it's just a bit of fun. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio, and we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.